This episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols, and I have a special announcement. Dream is starting what they're calling the Dream Hang, and the first event is going to be February 9th at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. So what they're doing is they're going to bring a bunch of symbols down to the studio. They're going to, you know, you can test them out. They're going to have Scott Pellegrum there. He's going to be demoing. They're going to be recording stuff. They've got Telefunk and Mics as a partner for these events, so you get to see, you know, how these symbols respond under really nice high-end microphones in one of the most famous studios in the world. So February 9th at the Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals, Alabama. If you're in the area, you should definitely go down, hang out for the Dream Hang. Everything that will be there will be uh, available for purchase as well. And they'll be doing more and more of these as well. So definitely check out Dream's Facebook page for the event info. And that's February 9th, the Dream Hang at Fame Studio in Muscle Shoals. Let's get this show rolling. You know, I think I... Oh. <laughs> Don't spit it out, bro. It's the first time you've been drinking while I, was, while I said something funny. Well, we, right, we got 15 seconds into the show without me inter- without one of us interrupting each other. <laughs> okay. No. Start again. <laughs> We're starting over. <laughs> We're doing this over. Uh, one, two, yeah. three, four. <laughs> What's up, everybody? Welcome into the 2019 predictions episode. Now, normally, when people do a 2019 predictions episode for their podcast, they usually do it at the end of 2018. Now, Mike and I, we go a month into 2019 so we can get a little head start on the info. When you already Uh, know the answers. That's right. Okay, so real quick, let me give you guys a heads up about what we're going to be talking about. And we try to pick things that we don't know the answers about. So we're going to do our best to predict what we think we'll be seeing at NAMM, which is coming up in a few days. Mike and I will both be there. Hope we get a chance to see you guys there. Then we're going to talk about what we think the state of the Insta drummers or the social media only drummers will be in 2019. Uh, Will we see another household name drummer emerge in 2019? And who was the last one? Was the last one Questlove, Travis Barker, somebody that everyone in the world that doesn't play drums actually knows the name of? Will we see another one of those come out this year? And then we'll also talk about where education is going in 2019, books, downloads, apps, online videos, websites. And then last but not least, we'll talk about the state of clinics and drum festivals in the U.S. All right. Dig it. Well, how we have about, a lot of stuff uh, to talk about. First off, we have that intro beat from James Burgess over in the U.K. Yeah. I predicted that. You predicted that. <laughs> I predicted that would happen in 2019. I knew James was going to submit. He gave us the 1985 soundscape for our 2019 episode. Pretty cool. I so feel he, like I, I, I want to ride one of those Tron motorcycles right now. <laughs> What's he using? He's got a Ludwig Classic Maple Kit, a Black Beauty 5x14 snare. Um, the Oh, he's, he's recording using the Focusrite Claret 8 Pre, which is the interface that we had talked about several times. And they're going to be uh, featured again here in a couple of weeks. They sent a new unit for me to demo. So I have some Focusrite mm. interface audio to check out in a couple of weeks. Anyway, that's a cool Thanks beat. a lot, Focusrite. Thanks for sending me not one of those. Appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, when do you get your snare drum, by the way? Oh, uh, oh the the sugar one. Yeah. <laughs> did you see the did you see the post that Sugar put out this week? No. The poem? No, that was last what? week. I mean last week, yeah. You yeah. saw that, right? We talked about did it for like that? 15 minutes, dude. Oh, dog. 
<laughs> you know I've been up since 4.40 this morning, right? I you know that I've done like 600 pull-ups. <laughs> yeah. Um, anyways, uh, yeah, so I don't know if I... Did you see what happened where he had like some terrible thing happen yeah, in his storage or something? Yeah, yeah so I told him, I said, dude, you know, all jokes aside put my stuff way to the back burner i can't imagine how much work you have ahead because it's not just snare drums for jefferson it's furniture too Mm -hmm. i mean he has a full wood making business so he's in the middle of that but he said he did tell me this he gave me one little hint he said whatever you think it is it is not that and i just said okay because I asked him, have you even picked out the wood in your mind yet? Do you know what kind of wood it's going to be? Um, I've left everything up to him. So, huh. I mean, you know that I hate anything bigger than a five and a half. <laughs> and so if it's going to – if he throws out like a like a nine by 13, even said it the right way, uh, I'm going to be a little surprised. But he said, whatever you think it is, it's not that. So, so we'll see. Um, huh. You know, I've never even met him. I'll get to meet him at NAMM, I'm assuming. So that will be cool. He won't be there. Like I said, I just don't really want to meet him anyways, so that's fine. I'll spend my whole time at the a and booth. So anyway, uh, if anyone's listening to this episode, we are publishing two days early because we didn't want to pretend that we're at the NAMM show on Friday and have all this weirdness So back and forth. It's actually Wednesday. Hopefully you hear this before. If you're coming to NAMM, I'll be there uh, Wednesday night through Sunday night. So you can just grab me somewhere. I'll be somewhere roaming Hall C, which is now where all the drums are. Mike, you'll be there just Thursday. All day Thursday, and, and I'll be there a little bit Friday morning, Friday afternoon, and I fly okay. home Friday. So uh, I'm excited. I didn't get to see last year. I didn't go last year. I made the choice to stay home and make new videos. I thought, mm-hmm. I thought, you know what? The entire drum industry and the educational industry is going to NAM. While they're stuck at NAM, I'm going to crank out like five new courses yeah, right. and uh, take advantage of everybody else being busy. So I'm going for a day and a half. Mainly because my buddy Lou, the creator of the Groove Scribe, uh, has never been to Nam, and we were just talking on the phone. I said, "Dude, if you want to go, let's go check it out." So um, it'll be really cool for him to see that. So we'll go do that. But I, I do have a question for you about Nam. Sure. It's part of your job now, and it's been mm-hmm. part of your job for what a decade? Uh, or how yeah. long? Have you- I mean, I think maybe I didn't go the first two years I worked here, so we're you know twelve plus. Okay. So it's part of your – well, it, it is your job. Is there any part of you that still gets excited at all or is it just kind of – is it a daunting task because of how much stuff you have to do while you're there? No, I I mean I love checking out everyone's new new approach for gear. I, I still get excited about that. I mean there's always something that, that just gets me inspired um, and it's, it's always nice to just finally reconnect with the people who've been making these instruments. I think – Right. That's the the missing element for me to like love a company or they're in their gear versus appreciate it and respect it is what's the personal connection that I can make with someone there mm-hmm. and that's that's really important. I think a lot of the gear I I buy and play is a lot of times influenced by how much do I respect the person that made it. It has a lot to right. do with it. I just feel like I want to I want to thank people for making great stuff and being cool people and I'm going to buy and use your gear as a result of it. So I think it's I get excited to see people I haven't seen for a year and also just to see kind of you know I know that it's a rare opportunity to see everything that's available for the year all at one spot so trying to get too jaded but you know come 5 p.m. on Thursday evening and my 
hips are already tired. Right, I'm ready to go home. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's gonna it's gonna be a long week for for you, or a long yeah, a long week, half week for sure. But I'm I'm excited to see what is there. Excited to see what the focuses will be. So the cool thing about our prediction show is this first chunk, the Nam 2019 part. We will find out if we were right or wrong. Very. Very early on. The others we have to wait an entire year for. Yeah, right. <laughs> so we'll do a tw- uh, 2020 wrap-up uh, to see how we did on these things. I'll keep this file for the next year. But on the NAM 2019 predictions, we can either be right or wrong. My <clears throat> first prediction for NAM 2019 is that there will be a huge focus from all the drum manufacturers, the major drum manufacturers, on mid-level kits. Hmm. Now, I have less insight than you do because you actually get to review gear, so you might know a little bit. But when I saw <clears throat> excuse me, those... Tama SLP kits. Yeah, yeah. I just thought that's what the industry kind of forgot about. I feel like we had a really good uh, period of time with the PDP kits, and mm-hmm. then uh, definitely the Gretsch Catalina kits, the Thomas Silver Star kits, yeah. and then for the last maybe two or three years, everybody rested on that, saying, "No, we've we've got that covered." But you still have to innovate in that area too, and I feel like those Tama SLP kits are. I mean, if I was a Tama artist, I'd probably be more excited about those than I would some new high-end super extra star with a star <laughs> and a star. <clears throat> like, that's cool and all, but how great can drum sets get? I do think there's always room for improvement in that 1200 to $1,300 or th- $1,200 to $1,500 price bracket. And those SLP kits really blew me away, which then made me think, okay, well, whether it's Right away at this NAM or the next NAM, Pearl, Gretsch, Yamaha, DW, or PDP, they all have to answer the call to that. Yeah. Otherwise, Tama will own that mid-level market. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. Um, in drum sets, I don't have any predictions because I feel like there's no... That's a good That's a good guess is maybe the mid-price could use some reshaping, but I feel like... the the catalog of all the companies is so jammed at the moment. It's like, how do you, how do you reposition? I think if anything, it's going to be a more streamlining of, of, you know, what do we really do? What do we really excel at? What do we not really excel at? And hopefully, cause I, I think, I mean, I guess just being loyal to one brand and if you're entry level, you get this mid price, that high in that, but See, that was, that was what I loved back in the day with Pearl was there was the export, mm-hmm. then there was the sessions, and then there was the masters. And hey, I kind you worked of your way knew, up. Yeah. You worked your way up, and it actually caused brand loyalty because every kit that I had, I wanted the next one above it. But there were only really three, but they were huge price increases, mm-hmm. so it wasn't going to happen every six months for me. It was going to be, okay, this is my kit for the next five to six years, then that's my kit for the next five to six years, and then that last one is the kit for the rest of my life. Uh, or at least quality-wise could last me for the rest of my life. I mean, if I saw somebody right now with a 1996 Pearl Masters uh, maple in emerald green, I would not think, oh, poor crappy kit. I'd be like, oh, yeah, that used to be one of my favorite kits in the world. Yeah. Still holds up, totally fine. If I see somebody with a Premier Signia, you're fine. Yeah. You know, so yeah, um, I, so, yeah I, I would love the streamlining too. I just think that there has to be, I, I just feel like with, with Tama putting out that line, they're going to take the market away from PDP and Gretsch who have just kind of been like, dude, we've got this on lock. And it's like, not if you don't innovate. Yeah, they kind of hit both sides of the equation, too, because they got those, which is killing in that, like, 
professional level, but still not super pricey range. And then the star line just keeps getting better and better. So it's like they're right. they're kind of serving the here's a kit that'll last you ten years. Here's the kit you can dream about all at once. So that is a good as as a consumer thinking. I buy this kit now, and then when I'm really good, I can get the star kit. Uh, but yeah. there's also this this is the, the um, the saturation issue. What does that do for the Star Classic? It's in the in between there. So, yeah. do you is the SLP bet just as good as a Star Classic? For some people, it would be. So then, what does that Star Classic serve when you could save a little bit more and get the Star? Yeah, I, I, I'm with you. Uh, I think I I would love if drone manufacturers had. A solid entry level. I'm not talking about a $300 drum set, but a $750 drum set that came with some inexpensive but usable hardware and came in modern sizes. And, and you know, here's some shell packs in a bop size, like the Catalina Club. Mm-hmm. Here's our fusion size, 20, 10, 12, 14, and then here's our rock sizes. All in that 750 range. Then we have the mid-level 12 to 1500 thing, and then it's like, all right, you want to choose your very specific color with with exotic woods. You want to sell your car to get a drum set. Let's do it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's 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 tough, and I and I, I'm I'm looking forward to seeing what would happen. All right, prediction number two. I think there will be a very noticeable move from a lot of different companies to find a balance between vintage and modern. I think we pushed the vintage thing as far as we could, the ugliest symbol you could possibly find from the bottom of hell. <laughs> uh, you know, I, I think the, to me, the biggest example of that would be the Minol, what was it called? Um, vintage Pure? Oh, yeah. Where they, yeah. They, they literally just said, this is a blank pushed into a shape. <laughs> so that or... Sabian took it one step further and actually named the damn thing yeah, the big, big and ugly. ugly. <laughs> okay, so that that's been pushed as far as it can go, and then I think A and F is probably the leader in the clubhouse of doing the vintage drum thing, but in a brand new build. The, and I and obviously all the vintage builders can do that too. I mean, really, if you think about even the big uh, companies, Ludwig has that gorgeous patinaed bronze snare or brass snare, yeah, raw brass. Uh, yeah, yeah, the raw brass snare. So I think we've pushed that as far as it can go. I, and then I think, you know, I I, I think of like the Paul is it Paul Liam, Paul Lime, Paul. Paul Lime, yeah. his Yamaha snare is pushed as far as beauty can go with like oh, a right. classic snare drum. It's just a beautiful drum. I think we're going to find somewhere in the middle this year with the cymbals, and that is definitely from, I wouldn't call it inside knowledge because everyone has seen the posts on Instagram, but Meinl's new line that's coming yeah. out there, uh, Foundry Reserve, that's it. That's That, to me, is what I think we'll see a lot of from a lot of different companies. I think A&F will probably have something a little more beautiful than normal, and a lot of the companies will find this balance between this could have been this is a brand new drum from 1932 mm-hmm. this is a brand new symbol from 1932 rather than it's actually from 1932 and it's aged for 90 years uh, so that's that's what i think well yeah and and i mean I have some inside knowledge, obviously, but Rogers Drums is making a comeback, so if you're going to have one of the classic brands that represents all of that making a push and it's 100% new builds so the Dynasonic snare drum I tested two of them we'll feature them in a future episode they're built exactly like the original Dynasonic but they're new so they don't have yeah. any of the quirkiness of the old ones and they're priced 
to the point where it's not an ex, you know it's not a collector's item. You buy the drum, you use it. It's, I think it's like under a thousand for the snares. My buddy Lou that, uh, that I was talking about, the guy that made the groove scribe, he he got one and brought one here, and I was actually shocked at how great that drum sounded. Yeah, and it's just true that to was, form. And apparently, I, I mean, that, word on the street is they're going to be doing kits. So Rogers as okay. a classic brand, which represented for anyone who was of that era, that represented like the Rolls Royce of drums. So the prettiest, mm. most fanciest drums was Rogers right. back in the day. Well, uh, the drum actually kind of blew me away because I got stuck in that uh, drum troll post of the Dinosonic oh. that said, <laughs> <laughs> when, you know, when you make a comeback, but no one was asking where you were. Yeah. And I was like, hey, God darn it. And then my buddy Lou got one. I played it and I said, you know what, man? If I would have had this, say, uh, six, seven months ago, when we did the thing of like, if you could have one snare drum that you had to take everywhere... Actually, that would be it. I was shocked at how versatile that drum was. Yeah, and it just sounded like like a studio drum, no matter what I did with it. It was it was a really good drum. So I'm excited to see, to check out their kits um, as well. Yeah, so I'm not sure if cool. it's going to be there this year, but I know that that was in the works to you know to come out okay. with the snare drum, the quintessential Rogers snare drum, the Dynasonic Woodshell, and then expand from there. Um, and I own an nice. old Rogers kit, so I'm really excited to AB a new Rogers kit versus the old Rogers because that. The bass drum that came with that kit is still like when I think of perfect bass drum, that's it. That really, fourteen by twenty-two inch Rogers kit from wow. the early seventies, I think it was. Nice, awesome. So we'll see. All right. Well, here is prediction number three, and my last prediction. I think we will see a ton of products similar to. Is it the EAD ten, <clears throat> the Yamaha? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Similar to that to help musicians make content for social media. So it's specifically designed for not for people to be tracking albums or anything like that, but that need a faster and simpler way to get content onto social media. Um, and I think we've seen really good solutions, but no one has cracked the code on how to promote that solution properly. I, I think they're almost scared to pull back and say, yeah, this is literally just so you can put stuff on Instagram. It's almost like it's not valued enough for them to say, but it's like, but that's why you made it. You know why you made it. Just say that it's to make an Instagram video. Like it's okay. It's okay to have nine mics plugged into an interface just so you can make an Instagram video. It's all good. So, um, I mean, the EAD 10 set the bar really high though. I mean, that's, that's kind of the be all end all solution not just for social media for anyone who doesn't want to have a studio set up but wants to be able to record themselves and have fun with the sound of it and be able to you know practice with a metronome and and play along the tracks i mean it's it's kind of i don't know it's almost like the roland uh v-drum kits like how do we how do we reach that level yamaha set that for me established that with this recording mobile recording device and I don't think it would be an improvement on that. If, if anything, I think it would be a stripped-down version of that. Yeah. Uh, I said since day one that that thing was just so massive and overbuilt, unless you wanted to use all the features. If you did, it really is an, a genius product. But 
I think you could take out 30 to 40% of those features and I could get even more use out of it and I could sell it to my students mentally more by just going, this is all it does. You just put it on your bass drum yeah. and it goes straight to and, and it goes straight to your phone. Like, that'd be great. Um, so we'll see what happens with that. Do you have any other predictions for NAMM? Well, kind of along the lines of that and maybe it's more of a wish list than a prediction, I would love to see more dedicated effects processing units for live drummers. Rather than having to wire in a bunch of guitar pedals and old rack things and having to have a separate mixer and all these auxiliary sends and crap, I just want a stomp box multi-pedal that I can use to process my drums out. Okay, let me ask you this. Do you think, prediction-wise, that that would come from somebody that does that, like Line 6, or do you think that would come from a drum company? It would have to be a part. It would have to be a partnership of both because okay. I don't. I don't think because um, Line Six has no way to even get to us drummers as far as advertising to us. Yeah, I mean, DW tried with to do something with um, was with it Cat, Cat, or with Slate. They they had some kind of a drum mix plugin okay. that was a couple years ago. I don't know if anyone actually checked it out, but yeah, I think it would have to be a very well established like like uh, TC Electronics or somebody or Line 6 partners up with a drum company that has a lot of marketing power right? to then create a stomp box effects unit. Maybe it could be Yamaha since they already kind of have the technology. I just want to be able to hit pedals and say, here's the distortion, here's the compression, here's the reverb, and, right. and just be able to mix and match and not have to dial in settings and scroll through menus just hit the freaking button yeah i mean <laughs> honestly the ead 10 if it if you could just have a, a stomp box or like a multi-pedal with mm. three or four pedals that could plug into the back of that that'd yeah, be perfect because it's already there for you yeah that's what i that's what i want to see because that's where i have the most fun is is messing with sound design with drums and that's it's been an untouched i mean there's save a few you know like the matt chamberlains of the world there's no reason why you can't treat drums like an electric guitar but we just don't like why don't we I agree. do that? No, I agree. And but I think the the on an industry level, the problem is until the industry sees enough people wiring things together on their own, they're not going to try to solve that solution for you and Matt Chamberlain. Yeah, I would because I love you. But, but <laughs> well, see, the industry is like well, you don't know what you're missing until you know what you're missing. <laughs> I agree. I agree completely. All right. So our next thing will be what will happen to the Insta Drummers in 2019. But before we get to that, we're going to get to a few of your questions. All right. This first question. This was actually a one that we had answered in one of the Phantom episodes that got deleted uh, this is from Jerry <laughs> dude I, I feel your snark bro I've got two microphones recording me right now you zip it up Dawson. oh am I recording yeah we're good okay <laughs> this is from Jerry uh, I recently purchased one of those DIY wooden floor panels that's separated by tennis balls hmm. um, and I have a pretty quiet practice kit set up but I found that I guess the riser actually made his Zildjian uh, L80 low volume cymbals resonate more through the wood panels and they're creating a low hum. Um, so he's wondering if we have any opinions or experiences with these type of risers and the side effects of them. I personally don't, only because uh, even when I was living in apartments here in Sacramento, I always made sure to get the bottom floor because I knew that was going to be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> so I was always on the ground floor. So I've, I've never used one. I've had a lot of students have good luck with them, but they've all been students that were using an electric kit 
electric cymbals and not using uh, the low volume cymbals. So I don't know. I mean, could you just gaff tape those cymbals a little bit? Yeah, you could tape them up, I would think. And it's probably the the stand is also playing a part in it. So maybe isolate mm-hmm. the stand a little bit more or, or you know, put some sort of foam between the cymbal itself and the metal part on the stand. Uh, but I think that that hum you're hearing is the, the less of the issue. I mean, the bigger problem is, is are you actually still pushing sound through the floor to your neighbors downstairs? That's what those, those right. risers are meant for is to isolate some of the low end. So I think the benefits of that, not hearing your foot pounding straight to the floor panel, to the to the floor wood to your neighbors below, is going to far outweigh the hum that I don't think anyone I, could possibly hear. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, I think that that's what you have to find out. I mean, if if, if the side effect is that you're hearing a low hum, yeah. whatever. Um, but if, if your neighbors are hearing that, then that's something else. So I agree. All right, so let's do another one. This is from... Derek, um, he is okay. I just started exploring the Primus catalog after their last album, The Desaturating Seven. Um, uh, the bass drum sound on the album Frizzle Fry really stands out to me, and it's something I would like to replicate when recording. Where is a good place to start when trying to get close to that sound? He says, I have a Yamaha Stage Custom. Uh, with a 22-inch bass drum, and he has a Shure Beta 52 microphone. Dude, you're set. Just go finger tight on both heads. Yeah, nothing inside. Yeah. I'm pretty Golden. sure... Um, I actually looked up some of his setups from over, around that time period. He was playing clear ambassador heads, I believe, front and back of his bass drum. He was using small bass drums, 20s, I think, at the time. Mm-hmm. But uh, they might have been like 20 by 20, so kind of a, a deeper drum but yeah finger tight um he taped a rolled up towel to the batter head so that would be about the only muffling i would do um yeah i would put the microphone I'm, all the way inside because you want as you want as much attack and also you want that kind of weird boinginess that we generally don't want that's part of his yeah sound. it's everything we eq out but it was what made it kind of cool because yeah. it was part of tim's sound and at that time the other thing is there Les's bass was all slap, so his bass was kind of V-toned too. It was all yeah. highs and lows, but really no mids. So a lot of the mids of that, those albums came from Tim's bass drum and his snare drum as well. So uh, I think that would be great. All right, let's get into our second topic. What will happen to the Insta Drummer in 2019? <clears throat> Excuse me. So when I say Insta Drummer, I'm, sa- I'm kind of saying anyone that is primarily or only seen online but doesn't have something else going on uh, like a tour or something. So I would not consider you, Mr. Dawson, to be an Insta drummer because even though you do have an Instagram following, you also have a job of Modern Drummer, but you're mm-hmm. constantly playing out live. You're in, in the studio doing sessions. I would not. I definitely would not consider Ash Stone to be an Insta drummer. Uh, no. <laughs> and this is not a negative, but, there, but Instagram, YouTube as well in, in a little bit, but Instagram for sure has given a lot of musicians, not just drummers, musicians, a chance to be seen on a global level and they just stay in their bedroom. Mm-hmm. And it's a really cool thing. I mean, it, it can be a little disheartening because now we know who's out there. Yeah, right. They were always out there. We just couldn't see them. So we were, <laughs> we had the, you know, ignorance is bliss syndrome going on. Now we can see them. And it's like, okay, well, I'm the worst drummer that's ever lived compared mm-hmm. to that 11-year-old that just nailed yeah. the Animals as Leaders cover. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, let's just let's fold up shop. 
Okay. So here's my first prediction on this. I think that companies, especially the ones that have been endorsing these drummers, will start to realize the difference between a following and influence. And they're very mm-hmm. different. You can have a massive following with very little influence. So you could have 100,000 followers, but those followers might be following you just for very surface level reasons. But they don't, maybe they like your playing, but they don't trust your decisions. They don't know you long enough because you haven't done enough in your career to validate that. So when you say, okay, and this is now my signature pair of sticks, those 100,000 followers might not run out and buy those sticks. And when companies understand the difference between influence and following, I think it'll, it'll cause the Insta drummer to have to do something else. I think if you want to have a true impact, on your following you need something you need one more thing to validate you you need clinics you need to be touring with an established act you need to be performing at festivals or you need some sort of educational content so Mm -hmm. if we look at somebody like Annika Nillis on the surface it's like dude she's an Instagram drummer she's a YouTube drummer really she's played drum festivals for 45 minutes she's played hundreds of clinics in the last few years she's put out tons of educational content through different websites and she's been writing and recording with her own band she's way busier than just some lady in her spare bedroom doing videos for Instagram yeah I I don't I don't get the feeling that she's worried about how many likes she gets I think she's worried about what's the quality of what I'm putting out there and how does it represent what I want to do for the rest of my career and how is it setting me up for future opportunities and that sort of thing totally agree I think even somebody like Luke Holland who started off as a social media only drummer through YouTube covers I would say in the last three to four years has truly validated himself by hanging in there and playing big drum festivals, doing clinic tours, uh, forming his own in, uh, original projects uh, with mm-hmm. uh, was it Jason Richardson, I yeah. think, that he tours Killer, with. Yeah. And, and, I mean, we're at the point now where not only did he build up other facets of his career, but he also got a lot better. Like, no one can mm-hmm. argue that dude can play his rear end off. So, yeah. I think that if you are somebody that maybe has ten to twenty to thirty thousand followers, but you've never really left where you know wherever you film yourself, I think if you want to be taken seriously in twenty nineteen and moving forward, you're going to need to add something to that. And like I said, maybe it's uh, your very first tour with uh, a national act, or maybe uh, it's an educational product or something. I mean, to me, <clears throat> Carter McLean besides if if charlie hunter wasn't there his validation is he's been doing lion king for the last decade or so yeah right exactly and then on top of that he's putting out educational content he has a website forehandsdrumming.com so there's all these things that say okay yes i have a big social media following but if social media went away i mean I, i think that's the real question if you're somebody out there that has a ton of followers if social media went away tomorrow what happens to your career Mm mm-hmm and then that I mean because there's question. no way yeah there's no way your your gig next weekend is going to get canceled because Instagram got shut down yeah you're a professional drummer yeah yeah um, I think um, and I think at I this is my request I don't want any more Instagram in social media drummers to now start teaching like I think that's the transition that I I don't want to see I don't want to see more people teaching other people how to become 
social media <laughs> drummers to then teach people. It's almost I had the same feeling about like a a student who goes to music school to become a teacher to teach students to go to music school to become a teacher to become student. It's like this cycle totally of like totally separate from the real world. Yeah, it's pretty much archaeology for those who have never done any archaeology. Yeah. Like, no, I teach yeah. archaeology. It's like you've never gone full Indiana Jones. <laughs> and I, I think I, I caution against that with because I think that's the not the easy route, but that's the logical step. Like, what am I going to do with my YouTube page and my Instagram feed? Well, let me teach some stuff. Well, are you at a point when you should be teaching anything? Do you have enough life experience or original thought right. to be like, now I have something to share rather than here's my take on the thing I just learned from someone else on YouTube two months ago right. and because it got a lot of views and this is the most popular topic. Let me do a video of that right. showing you how I – that for me, the old man in me says, whoa, whoa, go live life, go explore, go make some music, make some bad art, make some good art, find out what's yeah. what you like, what your real spot is. Don't all of a sudden become a social media educator. That That's not serving. I also <clears> – <throat> No, and, and you have to think, if you do have, say, 40,000 drummers following you, why? It's because you're doing goofy drum stuff, you know? So, <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it depends on, and which is fine, it depends on what you want to do. And I think anyone that's going to enter the social media realm of like, okay, I'm going to start posting a lot and I'm going to try to build my profile, you really need to know what you're trying to do before you start because that will change, that will determine. Who is going to who? Who you're going to be attracting, and then what happens to your career after that? I think Ash Stone is constantly playing groovy stuff that makes other producers baseball. You know, I, I don't think he's embarrassed if Pino Palladino sees one of his videos. He's like, dude, it grew, I groove the yeah, hell out of that. Yeah, and he's not. Yeah, that's that. I think he and I and some of our peers have the same thought. Where social media is just a, a distribution for what we're doing. Just. Right. You know, this is what I do. I think of it for me as an EPK. Like, I don't have an actual EPK. My, you want to see what I can do on the instrument? Just look at the weird crap I post on Instagram. If you like it, cool. If you don't like it, that's cool, too. I'm not trying to be everything for everyone. Right. But I could say that I've definitely gotten a lot of gigs and opportunities just from having my social media be very focused on what do I enjoy doing on the drum set, not what's going to get the most views and what's going to go viral and all that kind of yeah, stuff. That's the same as being in a band. I remember talking to my A&R when my band first got a record deal, and it was my first chance to ask somebody at a record company questions. And I just said, like, you know, what are you looking for? What do you caution against? And he just said, uh, I caution any any small unsigned band. I caution them from ever listening to the radio because by the time you heard it on the radio, we've already signed six of those four years ago. Yeah, right. That's how long it takes us to get that out. <laughs> so you are way behind. And I feel like if you're chasing the insta drummer that like oh, okay i better learn every inverted double stroke lick that steve gadd ever yeah. did but i'll just do it without dynamics or for me it's more like the software tricks like if you're just trying to rip people's you know what plugin are they using what effects right. are they using and then yeah. it's already over yeah it's like all right no i i think but I, I think the right way to look at it is what you said which is use social media as a window into who you are as a person and as a player if that's what you want people to know. I mean, that's what it's been for me since day one. Since day one, I've gotten the exact same comment. Really like your drumming, but I love your teaching. Yeah. And it's like, well, that's what I'm trying to show you. I'm not trying to show you my drumming. I want you to be the drummer. I want to be the teacher. I want you to be the drummer. And I want to make sure that always comes through, whether it be through Instagram or through YouTube. I mean, to me, 
I've been through this. I just told somebody the other day, I was, I was doing some social media class stuff and I was telling somebody, I was like, you know, I started my first business on MySpace. <laughs> been doing this since the beginning, man. <laughs> like MySpace. I've seen, they will come and go. I've, you know, I've, I've Snapchatted drum lessons. I've, <laughs> I've done it in every way you can do it. I've tweeted them. So I, I don't care what you call it. You call it Instagram, you call it Facebook, call it YouTube Live. I'm going to use whatever's there at my disposal, but it will always be focused on me explaining information to other people. And I think you have done the exact same thing, but for the artist side, which is, hey, I like this stuff. And if this camera wasn't on, this is exactly what I would be playing. I think that that's the key right there. What if that camera wasn't on? What would you be doing? Now turn the camera on. Yeah. And show me who you are. Yeah. Yeah. The last thing I want to do is be practicing things that I don't care about just to have a clip that I can post or right. or focusing focusing so much on my lighting and my <laughs> you know, like all right. the stuff of making a video, which I think that's super fun and inspiring too, to make a really cool looking video, but that's secondary. But that's not what you're going for. No. I mean I'm I'm honestly going for that. Yeah, that's your business. Yeah, it's the opposite. Right. Yeah. And, and and that's all that matters is I do want to give off that perception because it's like, no, I am going for that and I'm okay with that. But I don't necessarily – but I wouldn't be doing that if I was trying to get a, you know, pick up a blues gig. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I wouldn't be like, okay, I need to rent out a studio. I need to rent a, you know, a DP and, and fly in these this film crew to try to get a blues gig. All right. Let's get to a couple more of your questions then we'll get into our third topic. Uh, okay. This one's from Andreas. Could you discuss some different ways to set up a practice schedule based on a grid system like the one Benny Greb explains in the Language of Drumming DVD? I think that actually kind of goes back to what my pick of the week last week where I have like a list of a dozen ways that I'm going to practice a concept, a sticking and whatever, and I just mix them up in an app, a raffle app. So I'm not constantly Mm -hmm. doing like one version and then do the next hardest version and then the next hard. It's always I might be starting my day with the most difficult version of that exercise I know. Uh, that'd be my approach, and so we, the the grid system is, at least the way Benny explains it, it's essentially moving one accent across four sixteenth notes or three triplets, and then two accents and all the permutations across sixteenths and triplets, three and four, until you've basically covered all the possibilities of sixteenths and triplets with either one, one, two, three, or four accents. Right, um, and that explains it. But that's. That's the way yeah, I set I mean, up a I, schedule is I mix it up. I make sure I don't practice the same progression every single time. Right. I, I, I'm, I'm with you. I mean, I think I, I go through the standard ones quickly to see if I have any physical limitations that I'm going to have to work out. Mm. And then after that, it's just trying to find out through the practice, well, which one – there are certain things that I can do in a grid system where it's like, oh, I can physically place the note there, but the feel sure goes to hell when I do that one. Mm-hmm. Um, I can think right now on bell patterns, uh, 16th followed by 8th followed by 16th. One E, a two E, a three E. Man, I am the worst at that bell pattern. I can do one and a two all day long, one E and two E and all day long, mm-hmm. but one E, a two E, a three E, it, my feel goes out the window and... It's not. This is the one thing we always have to get across to students. 
There's nothing more difficult about that compared to the other ones. It's three notes in the space of four possibilities. What makes it difficult is it's the most unfamiliar to me. I've given it the least amount of effort, given it the least amount of time, and I've listened to the least amount of music that has that rhythm in it. So it's just not natural to me. So question, um, when you sat down to start practicing you know, a handful of ideas. Sure. Do you generally start with one that is least troublesome to kind of warm your brain no. and body, or do you go straight to the one that's giving you a headache? I Straight to the one that's giving me the headache, because I consider that to be my main focus, starting on something I currently can't do. Okay. I'm usually warmed up by that time. I mean, I, I it's pretty rare that I sit down on the drum set for the first time of the day and start practicing something I can't do. Mm. I just, I'm, I'm very lucky that I have enough time that I can sit down and play a song and then, but not to learn the song. I can Mm. play a song for fun. Like, Oh, I dig this song. And then generally right now I'll improvise in a subdivision for about 10 minutes and see if I can make it a full 10 minutes without a single break in that subdivision. Mm. And it's a subdivision that's a little challenging for me. So, um, and, and, and then I'll start practicing. But yeah, I'm, I, I don't know. I, I've always had this thing where th- there's a very binary version of practice for me, which is I either can do it or I cannot. Mm. And I will work on it until I can. Once I can... To me, that's when practice starts. Yeah, then it's refining. Doing that. it, yeah. yeah, doing it is not the practice. That's like okay, I got to get to the uh, one or the zero. I got to get to the one. Then I start working on it and flushing it out uh, and seeing. Can I? I think there's something, and I've never really been able to explain this in online educational form, but. I know what it's like to be me, to be to be as me as I can be on the drum set. I know what I feel like when I'm just playing for fun. Mm. Do I feel like that while I'm working on this exercise? If I don't, then I still have more work to do. And yeah. I will sit there yeah. until I feel like me. That's a good barometer. I was uh, This is kind of off, off topic, but sort of related. I saw an interview with someone who interviewed Kobe Bryant, like went to one of okay. his practice sessions and kind of observed what he was doing. And he said that Kobe did nothing but the absolute most basic movements, the basic, uh, you know, you know, uh, whatever you would call it, like calisthenics type fundamentals, of fundamentals of, of just movement, not even like playing basketball. Oh, wow. Like left to right movements and stuff. And he asked him, like, well, why are you still doing so much basic stuff? You're the greatest basketball player on earth. And he says, and his answer was, why do you think I'm the greatest basketball player on earth? <laughs> Because I haven't gotten bored of the basics, of the fundamentals. So he said he was working towards surgical precision with the most basic fundamental elements of the sport. So I kind of think of... Like my my morning morning warm up is that like what are the most basic things singles and doubles and accent control and basic subdivisions so I can right. always get those better so I feel like if I if I'm making those better every day then when I get to the kit and I want to waste an hour trying to do a Keith Carlock lick that's okay because I've still spent time refining what right. actually matters. That's actually it's funny you know I I've it's so easy for me to get a calendar put it in my garage and write an x on every day that i go to the gym and because i just know that the fact that i went to my little crossfit class i know that that i'm in better shape today than i was yesterday Mm. but i haven't done that with drumming in a very long time if ever and i think i'm gonna start judging my day did i get better at the drums i'm not gonna go bananas like did i improve this specific thing but did i get better at the drums today or not if so Good day. Mm. If not, 
I need to get off my ass. And I really want to start doing the same thing. I, I even I even had a thought, and maybe you and I can explore this next week, but I had a thought about starting drums over from scratch, but not moving on from anything until I had it at the level that I can now see is possible. Like, do I really, on a practice pad, do I have quarter notes to a level that I would not be embarrassed playing them on a pad in front of Dave Weckl and Jojo Mayer? Mm. Like, and I wonder what it would be like to go back through the basics of drumming, but do, like, when I get to my first beat, which I probably learned when I was six, when I get to that beat, do I not, can I not move on until I feel like, Damn near, like, all right, if John Mayer calls, I got this down. Uh, I think it'd be fun to re, because obviously it wouldn't wouldn't take quite as long because I'm closer than I would have been at the age of six or 10 yeah. or 20. Um, but, but yeah, I think, I don't think there's ever a time where you can stop working on the fundamentals. Well, did we answer his question? I feel I, like we did. Yeah, I think so. If you want to see, I mean, look at the, uh, the crow's feet in my eyes if you want to see the amount of stress that happens when you try to go back and redo everything from the beginning. Cool, that's, I'm going to skip that. <laughs> Thanks, bud. That's been my entire quest for the past 15 years was yeah. I want to not be embarrassed to play drums in front of people. And the root of that I've discovered was I wasn't confident in my abilities. I yeah. wasn't confident enough that what I was playing on the drums wasn't something that would make my heroes laugh. So I was like, right. okay, well, what do I got to do to get rid of that? Well, can you play quarter notes? Nope. All right, here we go. <laughs> Back to quarter notes. Yeah. Well, and I... I uh, you know, we need to move on. But I did talk to a student recently uh, that was like, I, I pulled out a page of paradiddle um, variations for them. And they were like, really? Dude, you've been teaching me for like two decades. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, but you won't see this page the way you would have seen it two decades ago. Like, you're yeah. such a more advanced drummer now that you're... Your your radar is up. You know how how I expect this to be played. You know how I need this to sound coming from you. I'm not going to accept the fact that you just played the right succession of rights and lefts. Yeah. We're going in on this. Yeah. So yes, it's the same thing I taught you 20 years ago, but at a way finer detail. So cool. all right, all right. It's time for our uh, mid show message from Dream Symbols. Uh, same same note for everyone. If you're in the Muscle Shoals, Alabama area, anywhere within a couple hours, you should definitely consider driving down to Fame Studio on February 9th to hang out with the Dream team and uh, Scott Pellegrom. They will be there at the studio all day. They'll be demoing and recording cymbals. They will be selling everything that's on site. I'm sure it'll be at really great prices. Um, so, yeah, that's anyone who's near Muscle Shoals, Alabama. That would be Nashville, Memphis, Atlanta, Birmingham, anyone, uh, anyone I would think, within a couple area hours of the area. It'd be worth a trip. Um, first of all, to go to Fame Studio, which is where so many hit records have been made. I'm sure it's got to be like ghosts walking into that place. Right. Um, yeah, so that's February 9th to DreamHang, Fame Studios. Go to Dream's Facebook page, find out more information. Um, and that's that. Awesome. I would love to go there. All right. So next prediction. Will we see another household name drummer emerge in 2019? So uh, first of all, who would be the, the most recent one? Would it be Questlove? Mainly because of the Tonight Show? This is kind of the what everyone here at Modern Drummer deals with. is is not like years ago when we had a clear delivery system of who's cool and who's not. It was MTV. Right. It was Rolling Stone magazine. I mean, yep. People are getting their heroes from so many different places. I, I don't, I don't know that there is a household drummer of the past fifteen years. I don't know that we have one. Even Questlove, I think, 
if you're not to me the last one I can think of is Travis Barker where yeah, he was he was famous away from the drum set yeah so you're going back mid 90s so 20 yeah. years since we've had a drummer celebrity every every person knows the equivalent of you know Ringo or Gene Krupa or something like that yeah I mean I think of when you tell someone you play drums who are who's that person going to bring up to ask you about? Pretty much when I was a kid and I would say, oh, I started playing drums, my uncles would go, what do you think about Buddy Rich? Yeah. And then at some point they'd say, what do you think about Neil Peart? Neil Peart, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, big Phil Collins fan, you know, and uh, be like, uh, yeah. And so, uh, so, yeah, so, and then obviously there was, I would say Travis was the first one where my students in the late 90s could walk into my lesson room for their first lesson and i could visually tell who their favorite drummer was uh-huh, right that's crazy where i could just <laughs> see their hat and be like big travis barker fan and they're like uh is it the neck tattoo I'm like yeah you're 11 stop getting neck tattoos <laughs> that, yeah i mean i don't i don't know that we're going to see that phenomenon ever again until like a celebrity becomes a, a famous drummer i don't yeah. i don't know i don't know how it's possible because i think of i mean the the guys and girls who are i mean Annika Nillis is i mean she's probably more influential for some of the young female drummers we have than any drummer in the history of drumming but ask anyone right. who's not a drummer that into Annika Nillis is they're not going to know i've always said that that's the benefit of having any drum recognition is i can go to nam and get my you know my ego pumped a little bit and i can walk right outside of nam and not have any problems right (laughs) yeah you know like no problems and i mean i always thought like man what would it be like if if dave weckle vinnie kelly and steve gadd went to the mall no one would bother them (laughs) they would say look at those old guys yeah exactly Are (laughs) are you guys looking for banana republic uh, yeah, so I mean, it's yeah. Now on the flip side of that, I was at uh, it was at Nam last year. A friend of mine works for Paul Reed Smith Guitars, and they had a John Mayer model debut at the Nam mm-hmm. show last year. John had to have freaking arm security to take him mm-hmm. to and from the convention center. There's not yeah. a single drummer on earth that I can think of that needs that. Even Dave no. Grohl could could somehow manage to get through the show without getting attacked. Yeah, I think we probably. And I don't know if this is just because of the Will Ferrell thing, but we probably left out Chad Smith. But a lot of people do know who Chad Smith is. But you can see him walking around Nam. Yeah, and you wouldn't like, by himself. You, you see him as like that's definitely uh, someone that I should know, but I don't know who it is. Like, right? He's one of those types. Right. So I don't know. Yeah, and I mean, I think uh, it, it. Like you said, I don't know if there will be one. I don't think we'll see one in 2019. So, and this is our 2019 predictions episode. Um, all right, you want to do another question before okay. we get to our next topic? Yeah, we've got. Um, This one is from Dustin. I was practicing some singles and double double slash paradiddle warm-ups on the practice pad, and I realized that I can play certain stickings way faster if I think of them as a right-hand ostinato with the left hand filling in the spaces. This causes me to favor the right hand, especially when incorporating it around the kit. I was just wondering if you guys have dealt with this and any thoughts you might have. Interesting. I, and I totally see that, and I see that I've always called that that mind jump that you're making, Dustin, hidden rhythms. And what I mean by that is inside of your standard paradiddle sticking, there are these hidden rhythms that show up depending on which hand you favor. <clears throat> um, 
if you're favoring the right hand, you're going to hear ding, 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 ding. And it's going to be very different if you favor the left hand. And then if you start to kind of go back and forth, my biggest fear for you, Dustin, would be that if you favor the right hand, you're missing out on the coolest melodies. So I think that you should do what you're doing. But you need to do more variations of it. Pretty much exactly what Mike said about take that sticking pattern, find 15 different dynamic variations, put it into the to the lottery hopper, yeah. and play them all. Yeah, I think knowing that that's your tendency is a good thing because now you know what your strengths are, which then implies you know what your weaknesses are as well. So you can yeah. work on them. So can you accent the left hand? That would be my suggestion for practicing. I also think... Um, I don't know if you read music or not, but this would be a good opportunity to learn some repertoire, learn some rudimental snare drum pieces, because there is no set way that these figures might be orchestrated. So you have to kind of be able to play a double stroke role with accents at any point and not have to rely on like, well, I have to hear it this way with the right hand accented. Right. Um, That's kind of helped me kind of get out of this learning exercises, learning patterns, is learning pieces of music that apply these rudiments and patterns to phrases that it's not exercise it's not like progressive accents it's it's a phrase the accent might be on the e it might be on the o the double might be on the e the double might be on the the and Um, so that would be one suggestion Um, yeah but it's still i mean that's at least you found some music within these stickings that's always the you know i think that's a huge learning curve like it's not an exercise anymore you found some music so that's I mean that's what takes eventually you want the sticking to go away. You yeah, should be yeah. singing. Exactly. You know, I'm never I'm never singing right, left, right, right, left, right, left, right, right, left, right, right, left, right. I never want to be singing that. I want to be singing So yeah. So I think you'll have good luck with that, Dustin. You'll be fine, buddy. All right. Next subject, where is education going in twenty nineteen? Is it books? Is it downloads? Is it apps, online videos? What do you think, buddy? Education in 2019, I don't think um, video online courses are going to go away. They're probably here to stay, and I think they're just going to get better and better. Um, and I think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier I, th- you know, with the Instagram social media drummers. I think they were stopgaps. They kind of filled the void that the industry couldn't fill. Like There's this whole new media that we aren't trained and equipped to fill so let's rely on people who are good at it now get them through until we figure out how to do it on our own so i think we're going to see right. more like professional uh businesses kind of come out in the educate online education world that are tailored towards our market i would i would think finally they, they catch up and be like okay this is how we can do this for real with like real credible educators and that sort of thing um that's my prediction for for the online stuff. Um, I, I also have a fear that that's going to impact the private teachers negatively um, in a way that that young parents might think, well, the kid doesn't need to leave the house and he can take a drum lesson. So why go down to the school and have to sit there for 45 minutes while he does the same stuff with a teacher? Um, that would be my worst case scenario. But I also right. think that means that the private teachers need to up their game too. They need to have an online profile. Agreed. So then maybe the you know, the local drummer might find their YouTube channel and say, you know, he teaches an hour away from me. Let me go take a lesson. Well, here's the thing, and before I get into my opinion, here's what's gonna happen with a kid. The kid says I'm taking drum lessons to his buddy who plays drums. 
And his buddy says, who's your teacher? And if that kid can't pull up his teacher on YouTube or Instagram right away, yeah. his teacher has no validation. That's true. Yep. And so I, I totally agree with that. My thought is this. I think that the YouTube noise, pretty much what you said when we were talking about Insta drummers, so many people are teaching. Mm-hmm. It's actually going to become almost unbearable for the drummer that just started and immediately went to YouTube. They're going to find so much stuff that it's like, okay. I mean, honestly... How could you determine me between a guy that started yesterday if he has the same quality gear that I have? You can't. If you don't know how to play drums, you can't. Yeah. So I think with all that noise, the general drummer is going to be forced to pick something that's established, like you said. Now, that could be in the future. It could be a lynda.com that offers drum lessons. Mm -hmm. Excuse me. What is going on with my throat today? My God. <laughs> so I think right now, and you t- because I don't scour the internet for online drum lessons, you tell me if I'm wrong here, but I feel like Drumeo will become the home of online clinics, and it will be a place to see superstar drummers do an online drum clinic because maybe you can't get to the city or state they're going to do their real clinics at. And I think that Mike'sLessons.com will become the home of general education, which will then make room for you, J.P. Bouvet, Juan Mendoza, Aaron Sterling, to offer content that is specific to you as an artist. Yeah. And I think that that's what we need, is we need to have some established places, places that are a little bit general, mm-hmm. and then we need to have the artists be able to, the professional artists, be able to give a snapshot into their process and how they see the world. Totally. I honestly don't want to learn the, the paradiddle from J.P. Bouvet. I want to know what J.P. Bouvet does with the paradiddle. Yeah, I mean, I agree. And but, I think there's a position for the in-person private teacher here, too, where you have to be researched and up-to-date totally. with what's available. And thank God Mike Johnston teaches the paradiddle. So then I don't have to spend every day, for every hour, every half hour teaching the same lesson. I can say, all right. I introduce you to the paradiddle. Here's a page of exercises. Now go practice this course and master it. And we're not going to talk about the paradiddle again until you've gotten through that and mastered it. And then we're going to move on to something else. We're going to, yeah. Or, you know, I mean, we've always tried to keep our prices at a level where most students could also afford private lessons. And I think what's going to happen in 2019 is that both the online instructor and the private instructor are going to have to do a little bit of each other's job. I'm going to have to get better at closing the gap and being more personal with my students. And then the private teacher is going to have to get better at the technology. And if I was a private teacher right now, I would... I would teach the lesson, and I would always hold out the, f- the last five minutes of the lesson to film the final product so that my student had no excuses. Yeah. I would say, when you get home, there's a video of me playing this the way it's supposed to sound. <laughs> yeah. Here's the Groove Scribe link so you can slow it down and speed it up. You have no excuses. Yeah. Um, and so I think that the private teacher is going to have to embrace the technology and the online teacher is going to have to be very personal. And, uh, and I think we'll kind of meet in the middle somewhere. But I really think – I don't think Mike's Lessons or Drumeo is going to change a lot in 2019. I think we'll see more 
people like you using Patreon and stuff, mm-hmm. uh, Joe Arrington yeah. using Patreon to say, okay, uh, you truly are, you're asking me so many questions on social media, I can't keep up with it. I'm going to make some content for you. Yeah. I mean, it, it's the whole, that's exactly what, how it started for me was I'm getting the same questions over and over again. Let me, let me just make a video and then anyone, you right. know, the big thing I got was can I get it, your loops? Can I buy your loops? I'm like, no, because I don't think of it that way. I'm not, I didn't start this page to have a product of loop packs at the end. Right. It's like, nah, not really, but I but I saved all those files, so I was able to go back through later and cut out, because what I do in every video is the first 10 seconds is just the loop playing, so I have an archive of what the loop is. Not thinking nice. that I would ever use it for anything but my own reference, but I was able right. to go back in, load it in Ableton Live, lock it to a grid because they were improvised. There was no click track or anything. So I could find a tempo, lock it in, make a 10-minute version, create a pack, put it on my Patreon page. Say, go subscribe for five, ten bucks, and you can get the pack. So then right. it became a product that I had no intention of making, but people just kept asking me for it. So Those are the best is. products. They're organic. And it's, you know, I've always told other people that were trying to do what I do, I, I said, don't make a product to sell, grant a wish. Meaning you need someone to ask you to do it before you do it. Mm. If, if you just do it and you're like, just so you know, piano lessons with Mike Johnson. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, but nobody asked you. And it's like, I don't care. I'm teaching them anyways. It's like, but you can't play. I don't care. I'm teaching them anyways because I need some money. It's Then it's like, it's so obvious and people can read that stuff and it's never going to work. Yeah. But if you're just teaching on YouTube, like I was 12 years ago, 13 years ago, and somebody says, dude, have you ever thought about making a longer version of this? Or could you break that down more? And it's like, yeah, 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 yeah. Just come to Sacramento, see me for lessons. And mm-hmm. you're like, well, I live in South Africa. Yeah. It's like, well, oh, damn. Okay, yeah, I could film this. And then it became a business. So, uh, so yeah, so that's where I think. All right, now our last thing, and we're going to try to not be sad, upset old men here. <laughs> drum clinics and drum festivals in the U.S. And the reason why I say in the U.S. is because I do festivals and clinics all over the world, and they're doing fine. Mm-hmm. The U.S. is a different story. It is. Um, so we're, we're, we're going to predict our you know, the state of affairs with clinics and drum festivals in the U.S. I mean, from my perspective... Something needs to happen on on the business side of it to have it make sense. Like for me personally, I'm an independent artist. I have no endorsements uh, because of conflict of interest. I don't want to have any endorsements. Sure. But I want to teach and I want to do master classes. I want to do clinics. Well, the first question I get asked is, well, who are your sponsors? Well, why is it up to the cymbals and the drum companies and the accessories company to fund my career as an educator? Right. And the shop is requesting me or the school is requesting me, but they don't have the funds to get me there. But the business side of it is screwy. So that until that gets worked out, I don't think it's ever going to become really healthy here in this country because it's always going to be the manufacturers have a disdain for these people who want to go out and do clinics and teach because it's just expense, expense, expense. And right. the shops are like, well, how do we justify 500 bucks if we – you know, you're, maybe someone will buy a symbol, maybe someone won't. Right. Well, I think that. So when I go, I'm going to. I don't even remember what what I'm doing, but I know that I'm going to the UK in March. When I go, and I'm in a, let's say I'm in a drum shop in in England somewhere. 
They can charge $35, $45 a head because everyone that's coming knows I came from America. Mm-hmm. And so they know there's fees and an they're event. okay to pay yeah. that. It's an yeah. event and they'll pay for it. When I'm in Ohio, people think I drove. When I'm in New York, people mm-hmm. think I drove somehow. It's like, it's Mike. He's always here. It's like, no, no. That was seven hours on a plane. <laughs> Someone had to pay for all that jet fuel. So I, I agree. And I think clinics are going to do better, but it's going to be super grassroots. I think you're going to see a lot of tightly packed rooms, people paying $45 for a 50-person masterclass instead of a clinic, but it'll be at Nelson Drum Company or mm. something that barely holds 50. It'll get more and more intimate, but it's going to take young owners or hip. You don't have to be young, but you have to at least understand social media. It's going to take younger owners that understand social media partnering with younger artists that understand social media to promote it well enough to get anyone to come out. I think we also have to stop doing the free clinics thing because no one can make their money back. I mean, what a terrible Um, business model. Why that started years ago, I mean, I guess it made sense just get people in the store and they're going to buy the gear that's being demoed, but that seems such a far... I mean, I've been to a lot of clinics. I've never bought anything more than maybe a mic cable or a pair of sticks at those clinics. It's never even occurred to me. I mean, the first thing I want to do when it's over is leave and go practice. Right. I don't don't want to stick around. But I've never been like, 22-inch China. I'll wait in line. (laughs) Let's come back tomorrow. So I agree. And and I think that as someone that worked in retail when I was 17 years old and we had Russ McKinnon come in and we had Simon Phillips at the store, I remember asking my owner, like, how much did that cost? You just got, Mm. you know, Simon Phillips. He's like, oh, it didn't cost anything. Yeah, and I'm like, wait, well, well, that dude drove up in a Mercedes, and I'm like, oh yeah, his drum companies, you know, I mean, back in the day, you could make like fifteen hundred dollars a day doing clinics, yeah. no problem. Yeah, and it was because all the companies would spend so much money and they had these huge budgets for it. Well, th- by the way, that's not there anymore. I mean, if you if you just tell a random store in Poughkeepsie. Uh, yeah, it's a it's thirty five hundred dollars for me to do a clinic. Like, awesome. See you uh, next. Do you have Mike Dawson's number? <laughs> I hear he's cheap. Yeah, I hear he's He'll desperate do it. for attention. Oh god. But yeah, so I think that clinics will change a little bit into a much more intimate but paid for thing because there's there's honestly no other way to do it. And I can tell you from the inside, companies are starting to pull their funding completely from U.S.-based clinics where they're saying, if you go out and do it, we'll support it a little bit, but we're not booking them for you anymore. Yeah, and uh, I think I mean, it, it's I think it's just unfair to expect everything to be free and have the manufacturer just pay for everything. I mean, even even just not calling it a clinic, that might be step one. Because clinic, right. I think we, we think it's a demo, it's a product demo, it's free material. It's It should be a workshop. It should be a master class. And if you're going to go, at least expect $10 cover charge just... Totally agree. You know, what, I would never expect to see a, a, a great drummer, whether it's a young buck like Matt Gartska or Dave Weckl. It If they said Matt's coming to town, Matt Halpern's coming to town. He's going to demo some periphery stuff and teach a little bit. I've been to a ton of Matt Halpern clinics because I've been on tour with him. His clinics are fantastic, and if somebody said it's thirty-five dollars, it would I wouldn't balk at it. I think the only problem is you have to find that balance where. Who are the people that need this clinic in their lives, and how much can they afford? Yeah, you don't want to out, you know, you don't want to um, price them out. But still, I, I totally agree. And the thing is, 
it won't change anything for the artist. If you pay $35 to go see Dave Weckl, I promise he already has a set fee. He's not going to get yeah. any more, whether it's 35 or 45 or 55 He has – all of us clinicians have a clinic fee. And the way that – if you contact Amber, my wife, and say, okay, I want to bring in Mike, I have a set fee. And however that gets paid has nothing to do with me. If you carry all of my products, then Gretsch will chip in, Mino will chip in, Vader will chip in. And that will take the cost off of the, de- off of the dealer – I'm sorry, off of the retail shop. And then if you don't carry any of my products, you have to pay that. But Mm. my price never changes. So I wouldn't mind paying $35 just to know, okay, the the store didn't lose any money. The the vendors or the the shops or whatever, whoever makes the damn products, they didn't have to to come up with too much money out of pocket. But it can be crazy. I mean, how do you think I got to China last year? I know. It wasn't because I just had, like, frequent flyer miles. I mean, I mean yeah. Gretsch had to pay for that. I literally just got invited to Australia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> because we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. Right. And I'm thinking, well, yeah, obviously, yes, uh, but I don't have a couple thousand dollars to hop on a plane and go hang out in Australia. Who the right. heck's going to pay for that? So I think the business side of it is really what needs to get worked out. And we have to, I think, as consumers of this information, we have to just realize that a $20 cover charge is nothing. That's probably barely going to even cover the expense to put the event on. Well, and especially, even if we weren't even talking about expense, to see someone play the instrument that has put in their 10,000 hours at a minimum, it's worth $20. And to to have the freedom to ask that person a question, that's amazing. And I promise you, no matter what you ever see on YouTube or on someone's website... It'll never compare to sitting in the room and feeling feeling the air in the room when your favorite drummer plays. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's such a powerful thing. And there's the opposite effect too. Like, how would that person you watch videos of sound if you saw them in person, or how would they Ooh, sound if you point. saw them playing with other people? Like, do well, they that's, have the the skills that actually translate to reality? <laughs> <laughs> have you heard your favorite drummer speak yet? Right? Yeah. <laughs> like me. All right. So the, the last thing on that is, do we see drum festivals coming back to the U.S. in 2019? I personally do not. It, uh, there's nothing to support it happening. Aside from the ones that are already established, I think you've got Chicago Show, you've got PASIC, you've got the Hollywood Show, you've got a few other th- things. I, I see those as like kind of hybrid shows. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking like straight up drum festival. There's nothing else going on except for these performances. Um, I don't know how it's possible. Maybe a small two artist event, three artist event, but I think a full day, five, six artists. I don't see it coming back, unfortunately. It's kind of like it's kind of like SpaceX. If you want to go to Mars, you got to pay for it yourself. <laughs> I could see four or five artists getting together and just saying, "We're doing this. This is happening." We don't need to call it anything, but it's going down. You well, know? I mean, um, what do you think about like Vic first uh, jams that they're doing? That's essentially a drum festival, but only agreed. you know thirty people can get in the room, and it's all for yeah. online, which is cool. It promotes their product really well. I don't think it bodes right. well for the the drummers out there to actually experience this stuff. Seeing Steve Smith on a YouTube video is one thing. Seeing Steve Smith in a room with a drum set and no microphone, totally, it's a life changing reality check. <laughs> yeah, I, I experienced it with uh, Steve Smith and Zakir Hussein. Yeah, like, it's, well. there's nothing like it. So that, I mean, I think, 
I wish we had some festival, someone who was able to do it. I don't see how to, it goes back to the same thing with who's going to pay for it. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Please, Drumworld, prove us wrong. All right, so that is our 2019 predictions show. It is time now for our picks of the week. My pick of the week is a pair of sticks that I'm reviewing for a future issue that um, I'm actually not surprised I really like these sticks. It's the Innovative Percussion uh, Brooks Wackerman Signature Model. It's um, it's a big stick, so it's 16 and a half inches long, and it's pretty thick, so it's like a 0.63 inch diameter. But wow. it plays very quick, very light, and very fast. So it for me, it's the perfect mix of a big, heavy stick for rock, but you don't feel like you're swinging sledgehammers. It's really light and quick. It almost feels transparent when I was using it. Like It just feels like a comfortable stick. It's just a big stick. Um, so if you're in the market for that, if you need something that just that can put out a lot of sound, but you don't want to wear your arms out, this is one of the best I've seen. Um, and again, I'm not surprised I like it because I've had people say that I resemble Brooks Wackerman in the past, and we're like <laughs> the same, we're the same height and the same size. Okay. So, so it just feels good. Just, to you. Just, I think it's just a match for me physically, but I think a lot of people could benefit from this stick. It's the A7X model by Innovative Percussion. Nice. All right, my uh, pick of the week is Joe Cox Drums on Instagram. Uh, it's uh, Joe J O E C O X Drums. That's his Instagram handle. And Joe is somebody that is has been a longtime drum tech uh, with actually one of my students' bands. Uh, I have a student that plays for Catfish and the Bottleman, and he's been the drum tech for them. But he has a vintage shop, uh, so dr- JoeCoxDrums.com. Do not know Joe, but I follow him because I love the vintage stuff he posts. He, I think he restores a lot of these drums. I'm looking right now at his most recent post. It's a 1920s nickel over brass snare, just like the one I posted today on Instagram, except for I'm totally positive that he has a time machine. He went back to nine, to January 2nd, 1920 and stole this from somebody. This thing is either that or it was refinished. Like, I don't know how he re- refurbished this thing, but... I follow it just because I like seeing vintage drums, and it reminds me of things every once in a while. I go, oh, yeah, okay, that's what that would have looked like, or that's what the Acrolytes were like in the 70s, and that's what they were like in the 80s. And so I follow it just because I like geeking out over the gear. But what's really cool is knowing that there's also a shop attached to it, so I'm not just seeing cool drum pictures. If I see something where I'm like, you know what? He's got the 12-inch Tom that matches my Gretsch mm. 60s snare. Maybe yeah. I'll start building a kit. I can go to his shop and buy it. So that's pretty cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, that's so. a good point. I think shops like this is what I think is going to force the industry to not just do the replica vintage style stuff because there's great original pieces still out there. So I think... Agreed. Like, why would you why would you get a remake of this classic piece when you can get the actual classic piece that's been And, restored? I mean, fully functional. My 1920s uh, nickel over brass snare is 100% playable right now, and I play it all the time. And I'm not ginger with it. I, I play the hell out of it. Mm-hmm. it. sounds fantastic. So I agree. And I also think that if you are going to dabble in retail and you're not experienced in it at all, Stick with vintage because it's for the most part the one thing that the giant stores aren't going to touch, mm-hmm. and you can you can kind of get your foot wet. You can buy an Acrolyte for 
$98 and sell it for $125. <laughs> right. Just, get, get, get your, just dip your toes in the water a little bit and see if you enjoy this stuff. Because uh, that's how Bryson Nelson started, and now he's got a full-blown store yeah. carrying all the major brands. So really cool stuff. All right, everybody. Thanks for listening to our 2019 Predictions episode. Mike and I hope that we get a chance to see you and hang out with you guys at NAMM in a few days. And we've got some outro music from Scotty Sparks. Scott Sparks. So he is playing a Noble and Cooley kit, a Love Custom Seal Snare. He's got a Shore, I believe it's the KSM 27 overhead mic. It's one that I he actually asked me what he should get, and I recommended it. It's a large diaphragm condenser. He has the Sennheiser bass drum mic, the 904, a Shore 57 on the snare, recording everything from to the Zoom R16 into his iPhone via the Shore MVI. So he's been listening to the show and taking our recommendations. And he obviously has a good job. Damn. Dude's got some gear. My goodness. Atta boy. Thanks, Scott. Uh, Anyone wants to get their beat in the show, uh, send it to mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Make sure you either include a download link or, um, well, yeah, a download link because sometimes the attachments are coming through. So send the attachment and also a download link, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. All right, so we will see you guys next week after we get back from NAM, and we will find out how well we did with our NAM predictions. Buddy, I get to see you in person. That's right. See you in a couple of days. Bro hugs are coming. I'll bring some green tea. <laughs> and Purell. <All> right, <laughs>